Well, good morning. We are in our final week uh, of our Advent Redux uh, series where we are revisiting the themes of peace, hope, love, uh, and joy. And so we are looking to the Psalms, uh, looking at these themes. And today we've got joy. We're talking about joy. And we're going to be looking at Psalm 16. So open up your Bibles or your device or whatever you've got there to Psalm uh, 16. And uh, I'm just going to throw up there uh, a definition that Sean gave us a few weeks ago uh, from John Piper, where he defines joy as this, a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. It's a good feeling in the soul. That's the thing about joy, right? Is as long as it remains a concept, something we read about, know about, think about, rather than an experience, it's really no good to us. Joy is something that we need to feel. It's something that we need to enter into and experience. And that is something that I love about the Psalms, is that they are given to us not just as information to be downloaded to us, things for us to know. The Psalms are these Hebrew poems. They're these songs. They're these prayers that are given to us by God for us to actually enter into. The Psalms, the authors, they want to draw us in and engage us, not just with the mind, not just with the head, but with the heart. The Psalms bring us into this experience where we feel what the author is feeling. We go on this journey with them. It's like music. Think about your favorite song. Think about the lyrics, unless you're Tim, in which case there are no lyrics. It's just aggressive screaming. But for normal people, think about your favorite song. Okay, it's not about just words that you read. Think, Think about the lyrics. If you just read them just dryly with no emotion, it wouldn't have the same effect right? The authors of a song, the artist wants to draw you in and it, you love that song because you feel what the artist is feeling. You go on this journey with them where you are engaged, not just with your head, but with your heart. And that is what the Psalms want to do. And so my prayer is that as we look to Psalm 16 today, we enter in with David and joy becomes this real tangible thing, not just that we know about, but that we actually enter into and experience. So let's look to Psalm 16 together. It says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand 
our pleasures forevermore. Amen. And so like my old Psalms professor used to, used to say uh, at seminary, he said, when we look to any Psalm, we need to ask not just what is this Psalm saying, we need to ask what is this Psalm doing? What is the experience that the psalmist wants to draw us into? And I think with our psalm today, what David is doing is he wants to show us, he wants to bring us in to this experience that he has of moving from preserve me, oh God, God, save me, help me, to my heart is glad. I am full of joy and my whole being rejoices. Because really that's the life of faith, isn't it? It's we want to move from God, help me, To God, I am glad. I rejoice in you. You are good. And the way that David brings us on this journey is he wants to show us how he gets from here to there. And I think what is key for him is that he lifts up and he fixes the eyes of his heart and he exalts on who God is, the goodness of God, who God is, what he is doing and what what he will do. And he's entering into the presence of God. He comes to realize joy Everlasting pleasure is in the presence of God. And David wants to show us that in this life, for those who trust in the Lord, real and lasting joy is very much available to us regardless of our circumstances. Joy, this good feeling in the soul, is something that transcends our circumstances. Good or bad, we can have joy in the Lord, in Christ, because everything we need is in him. And so David wants to show us how to enter into that and actually experience it. So he's going to teach us a few things. The first thing I think he wants to show us here in verse 1 and 2, David wants to teach us to run to God as our Savior and our refuge. And so if you notice, David's prayer in our psalm, it does not start with joy. It doesn't start with this picturesque, neat, cleaned up Instagram moment where we have our French press coffee and our sunrise and the still waters and our little moleskin journal and sitting there going, it it is well with my soul. I have peace. God, you're good. Thank you. It starts with preserve me. Help me. I'm scared. This gives me so much comfort because that's my prayer life. It's not these neat little cleaned up moments. It usually starts like David with, God, I don't see you here. I don't, where are you? I don't see how you're working. I don't know what's going on. I'm afraid. I can't do this. Help. Help. That's how his prayer starts. Preserve me, oh God. And I think we do this weird thing as Christians sometimes where we think before we enter into the presence of God, we need to clean ourselves up. As if God of the universe cannot handle our real and raw emotions. But instead, what he wants us to do is to enter into his presence, to bring how we're actually feeling into the light so then he can meet us there and begin to work on us. That's where joy begins. That's how David begins. And then he says, In you, Lord, I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. David runs to the Lord for salvation and refuge. The fact is, when the walls start closing in, when life gets hard, when we experience pain, when life gets real, every single one of us turns to something for refuge. We look to something. We turn to something. David runs to the Lord. And the question for us is, what do we turn to? Even as Christians, 
those who profess faith in God, it is very possible for us to turn to everything but God when life gets hard. Whether that's simple things like trying to shut our brain off and numb ourselves when life is painful, turning on Netflix, reaching for the TV remote, maybe reaching for a bottle, reaching to the internet, to a website, whatever it might be. Maybe it's money. The economy is uncertain. The future is uncertain. So if I can just make a certain amount of money, this much money, put it away, I'll be safe. I'll be safe in that money. I'm lonely. I feel hurt. I feel unlovable. So maybe I'll run to a person, a relationship, and they'll be my safety. They'll be my refuge. Man, as a personal trainer working in the fitness industry for a bunch of years, I see this constantly people who are lost, people who have been hurt, people who don't know who they are. And they think, if I can just look this way, if I can achieve this certain body, if I can be this fit, then nobody can tell me I'm I'm unlovable. I can be somebody and nobody can take that away from me. And what David is saying is that when we run to anything but the God of the universe for refuge, we are building our house, our foundation on sand. Whether it's tomorrow or years from now, when the storms hit and life gets hard, our life is going to crumble if we're putting our trust in anything but God. He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. The first Lord there in verse two, it's in all capitals. Whenever you see that Lord in all capitals, the author is referring to Yahweh. That's the, the Hebrew word Yahweh. And it's the covenant name for God. And so what David is doing is he's bringing to remembrance. He's bringing to his mind who God is. He's saying, this is Yahweh. This is the God who created, who breathed all of this into existence, who chose a people for himself, who rescued his people from slavery, who redeemed them, who provided for them miraculously through the wilderness, manna from heaven, provided water from a stone, who's been with them and has never left or abandoned them ever. This is the God that I am calling on, the God that I'm running to for refuge. This is the Lord And he says, I say to the Lord, Yahweh, you are my Lord, lowercase. You are my Adonai, my Savior, my King, my Sovereign. Yahweh, the God of Israel, you are my Lord. Personally, there's this thing where it is intensely personal. David, and we cannot rely on the faith of anybody else, our grandparents, parents, pastors, worship leaders, anybody else. This is an intensely personal thing. It is not enough to say there is a God, there is a Lord The question is, is he your Lord? Is he my Lord? And do you remember the joy of that? If you've taken that step to say, God, you are my Lord. Do you remember the joy of the presence of God when you bow your knee to him as king, as sovereign, as savior? I remember as a teenager, man, I was, I grew up going to church, hearing about God but I remember the moment that it hit home and became real for me. I, was, I knew about God, but I was still trying to save myself to be good enough, to do enough good to save myself. What David says is there is no good in me. I have no good apart from you, God. And there's an incredible joy and a peace that comes when you stop running and trying to be good enough and you bow your knee to God and say, God, I've got nothing. I need you. When you, when you realize, when I realize that on my best day, I am still falling short of the glory of God and I need the perfection of Christ. It's not how good I am. It's like we sang this morning. You know, when we stand before the throne, before God, we can either put our own record in front of him, which is never going to be good enough, or we can look to Christ and say, 
I'm going to put Christ's record of perfection in front of me. And it's this thing where God no longer sees our sin, but he sees the perfection of Christ if we are in him. Do you know the joy of that, of running to God as your savior and refuge? And then David shows us in verse three, how to delight in the life of the saints. Look at what he says. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. I love this. David, in the midst of his trial, in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his crying out to God, he stops and goes, I love my brothers and sisters in the faith. The saints in the land, they are the excellent ones. My delight is in them. Can we say that with David? Do we take delight? Do we participate in the life of the church? The church Christians are not perfect. That is clear. The church is made up still of broken, sinful people. We mess it up sometimes. We don't get everything right. That is just the fact. But the truth is that God has given, he has put his people and gathered them together on the earth with a purpose, with a mission to go to the world with hope, to support one another, to build up and encourage one another in love, to pray together, to provide for needs, to reach the world. He's given us a purpose and a mission to rally around together. And there is so much joy in participating, delighting in the life of the saints. And this is such a weird time where we can't, as a church, actually meet in person. It's super weird. But are you using that as an excuse to just sit on the sidelines and not actually be an active participant in what God is doing in the world Or are you still getting involved? Man, there are still so many people around you who need hope, who need to hear about Jesus, who need love, who have felt needs, who need provision. Are you picking up the phone, making a call, checking in with somebody? Are you praying with one another? Man, the darkest hours of my life, some of the most incredible relief, a gift from God has been a brother in Christ calling me up, taking me out for a coffee, being like, man, I love you. I got to speak into this in your life. You're, you're walking in sin. You're messing this up. You got to check this in yourself. Do you have those people who you have given permission to speak into your life with the truth of God? People filled with the spirit of God to speak his truth into your life. And do you do that for people? Are you actually walking in this, the life of the saints? And we read in Matthew that God is building his church, and that the gates of hell will not prevail. God has a mission for his people. So much of experiencing joy in this life is actually having a mission, having a goal that rallies us, that we get pumped up about, that we actually go out into the world with intention to do. God has given us a mission. If we actually believe that life and death, eternity, hell and heaven are on the line, God has given us this message of hope in Jesus Christ alone, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. When was the last time you shared with somebody the hope that you have in Jesus? There's delight, there's joy in participating in the life of the saints. Are you participating in that? And then verse four and five, David teaches us to treasure God as our all-satisfying portion. So the question for us is not, do you worship something? We are creatures who are created to worship. We will worship something. The question is, what do you worship or who do you worship? And David makes very clear here that if we are putting our hope 
in anything besides the one true God to fulfill and satisfy and give us what only God can give us. We are robbing ourselves of joy. We are leaving ourselves emotionally dry and dead and spiritually bankrupt. If we're putting our hope in anything but the one true God and running after that thing rather than God, we are destroying our joy. And I just want to put some questions to you guys that were given to me a few years ago by a, an awesome pastor of a church in, in Melbourne, Australia. He, he said these things to me and they had a huge impact. So I just want to share them with you. And I think we've got them here. I don't have them in my notes. But just some questions for your reflection because I think we're really bad at identifying idols in our lives, identifying things besides God that we might be putting our hope in. And so these questions are just to, to try and prompt some of that. So where does my mind go when it is free? Whose approval do I seek most? Whose disapproval in my life is most devastating to me? What am I pursuing right now that I think will make me complete if I get it? What am I most fearful of losing in my life? Who or what do I look to when things are tough? Who or what am I prepared to maybe compromise my beliefs for? These questions are going to be in the, the reflection online in the group study, so we'll, we won't spend too much time on them. But I think it's worth asking ourselves these questions and taking these areas of our lives and bringing them to the light, bringing them before God and just think where there's resistance in one of these areas, you might find an idol there, something that your heart is clinging a little too closely to. And David says, their drink offerings of blood, I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. David says, I won't even go near those things. I won't even touch those things. I'm not even going to dabble with them. Things, it's so easy to reach for those things. When it's painful, when life is hard, those things are immediate. They're right there. It's so easy to grab onto them. David says, I won't even go near those things. Why can he say that? He can say that because everything that he needs is in God. He is completely satisfied in the Lord. He says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. God, you hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. This is the thing, guys. Christianity, trusting in God, does not promise us that we will always be healthy. It does not promise us that we will receive wealth. It doesn't promise us that everything is going to go good and well and peaceful in our lives all the time. What it does is it promises us that we will have God. We get God. It's the preeminence of Christ. He is the highest and best thing. There's no better thing or higher thing or other thing that God can offer us than himself. God has designed us in such a way that we cannot and will not be satisfied apart from him. And in him, we have absolutely everything that we need. Think about it. That's why Paul can sit in a prison cell, in a Roman prison, awaiting trial and possible execution with nothing. And he can write to the Philippian Christians, rejoice. I have this one thing I'm pursuing above everything else, this one thing. To live is Christ and to die is gain. I have everything I need in Jesus. 
That's why in Acts 5, the apostles can, in Jerusalem, they can be arrested and come before the council and they say to them, stop preaching about Jesus or we're going to beat you to death. And their answer is, do what you got to do. We can't stop preaching about what we've seen, about the truth of Jesus. And they go out and they keep preaching. And then they beat them almost to death and then release them. And it says the apostles went away from their beating rejoicing. What is that? That is satisfaction, everything that they need, everything that I need, that we need in God. David shows us how we can treasure God as our all-satisfying portion. We have everything that we need in him. And then he teaches us in verse 5 and 6 to trust God as our sovereign king. David finds so much peace and joy in knowing that God holds his lot. It says, you hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. David finds joy in knowing that nothing, absolutely nothing good or bad that is happening to him in his life is outside of the knowledge, the control, and the allowance of God. God is on the throne. God has a plan. God sees him and knows him. He knows when he gets up. He knows when he lies down. He knows every thought in his mind and his heart before he even says it or thinks it. God has been holding on to him since before the foundation of the world, Ephesians says. He has a plan when we can't see it, when we can't understand it, when we can't feel it. God is moving and he is doing something. I just want to read a few verses from Psalm 139 where David just revels in this. Listen to this. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And he says in verse seven, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I, t- if I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your right hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. God is holding on to him. No matter what is happening, David finds joy in knowing that the lines have fallen in pleasant places for him. It is not outside of God's control God is holding on to him. He knows him. He's got a plan. He is working all things for the good of those who love him and for his own glory. And not an ounce of pain in the process is wasted. In 2 Corinthians, we read that our light and momentary affliction is producing an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. God is doing something. Trust God as our sovereign king. And David teaches us to seek God's direction and his presence. Seek God's direction and his presence. David cried out, he called out to the Lord and the Lord heard him. He cares, he answers David cries out and God actually speaks back. He gives him counsel. Look at what he says. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. 
David finds joy in knowing that God does not leave us alone to fend for ourselves. God has given us his word and he's given us his spirit to dwell in us and to dwell with us, to lead us, to guide us, to speak to us. God speaks to us through his spirit, through his word. Do you know the joy, even in your trials, even in your pains, of hearing the still, small voice of God in your darkest hour? In the night, my heart instructs me, when it is dark, when it seems so painful and so dark, the Lord is there and he is guiding me. God wants to meet us in our pain and to speak to us and help us through it. And so the question is, have you hidden? Are you hiding God's word in the depths of your heart? Are you reading it? Are you letting it penetrate your mind and your heart to sink in, to shape you, to form your affections, to transform your mind so that when you are in your greatest hour of need, God's word comes to the fore. It comes out of your heart like a wellspring, like a treasure to encourage you, to spur you on, to give you the comfort that you need. Sometimes in my worst, darkest moments of just pain and sorrow and not knowing what's going on, I've had scriptures just come to my mind of God. It's just this presence of God through his word, through his spirit that just reaches in and just consoles you, gives you comfort like a soothing balm on an open wound. Especially in this, in this day when things are, are so loud, they're so noisy, we have so much input. Are you carving out time? Are you carving out space to not just cry out to God, but then to be still, to be quiet and listen? He wants to meet you and he wants to guide you. We see David, look at, look at what he says. I have set the Lord always before me. I have set. There's intentionality hearing the voice of God and walking in a tangible awareness of the presence of God in your life takes consistent cultivation. It takes intention of the heart and the mind. It takes going with intentions, waking up every morning to say, I am going to acknowledge today, this morning, in all of my conversations, in my work, in my play in my family life, in whatever I'm doing, I'm going to walk with an awareness of the presence of God. I have set the Lord before me. Think about your day-to-day life from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. Are you aware that God is everywhere? David says it. There's nowhere I can go. I can go to the middle of the ocean and even the presence of God is there. I can go up to the sky. Even God is there. God is present in the mess. He's present in the battle. He's present in whatever you are walking through. He's not void of that situation because it's painful and because it's unpleasant. He's there in it. And David finds joy and peace and contentment in knowing that wherever he walks, God is there in it, in it walking with him, walking at his right hand. It's in the presence of God. There is joy. There is pleasure. And in saying that, the last thing that I want to do is is try to minimize or diminish anybody's pain, the pain of of any situation that you might be walking through. I'm not going to say this has been an unprecedented year and whatever, all that stuff. We've heard that enough. Okay, I'm, I'm kind of sick of it. It's hard. Life is hard. Life's always hard. It was hard before this last year. For a lot of us, it's been tough before any of this stuff happened. And it's going to be tough after this stuff goes away. Life is hard. Okay, I know that the pain 
is real. Okay, several months ago, I, I had a conversation with a good buddy of mine, a close friend, and the last conversation we had was, hey man, when are you flying in from Baltimore to come to my wedding? And then I got a call. He went to sleep and he didn't wake up. That's it. He's gone. I'll never see him again. I'll never talk to him again. I know that it is hard. The pain is so real. And we are allowed to grieve. We are allowed to struggle. We are allowed to feel sorrow. It's this crazy thing that happens that Paul talks about where he says, in sorrow, I am rejoicing. The apostles in beatings and persecution, they are rejoicing. Paul sitting in prison with nothing, rejoicing. Joy in God, in Christ, transcends our circumstances. It's not pinned down to whether we are enjoying life or not, whether good things are happening or not. We can feel that sorrow. But it's this crazy supernatural thing that happens when we press in to the presence of God in the midst of that sorrow, in the midst of that circumstance. It's like our definition. It's a good feeling in the soul, this crazy supernatural thing that happens where God meets us there and we know with every fiber of our being that God is holding us, that he's there with us that he is surrounding us. David says in Psalm 27, there's an army encamped around me. I am surrounded by enemies. And even there, God is present and he lifts up my head. I will have joy. I will sacrifice. I will praise him in the temple, even with my enemies surrounding me. Joy in the presence of God in the midst of any and every circumstance. That is what is available to us. This good feeling, this comfort, this steadfast hope in the midst of any circumstance that we are held in the hand of the God of the universe. And in those circumstances, you can take everything from me, but I still have everything that I need in God. There is no other feeling like that joy. And it is available to us in the presence of of God. And that is why David can say, because he, because God is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. And then he goes on, verse 10 and 11, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What is, what is David saying here? David, this is our last point, is saying that ultimately, our joy is anchored in the steadfast hope, the sure hope, that we will be in the presence of God for all eternity, experiencing his joy, everlasting pleasure, fullness of joy. What is he talking about? When he says in verse 10, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. We actually know because Peter in the New Testament in Acts 2, in one of his sermons, he picks up on this idea and he quotes this Psalm. He quotes Psalm 16 and he explains it for us. He says, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, 
that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses. Peter explains to us that David in our psalm, talking about the Holy One who did not see corruption, David was talking about prophetically looking forward, knowing that it had been promised to him that there would be a king, a savior, a Messiah that would come through his line, a king that would die but not remain dead, that he would raise up, defeat death, and be seated on the throne of an everlasting kingdom that would not end. David was prophetically looking forward to that, Peter says, and saying in that prophecy, the fulfillment of that prophecy was Jesus. Came through the line of David, lived the perfect life that we could not live on our behalf, went to the cross, was crucified on our behalf to slay our sin, died, was buried, but did not stay dead. God did not abandon his Holy One and let him see corruption. He raised him miraculously, historically, physically, literally raised Christ from the dead. Jesus was the one who came and defeated death on our behalf. And because of that, death is no longer the end for us. We do not have to fear death because everyone who is in Christ, who has looked to Christ, run to him as savior and salvation and refuge, will die. Every one of us will die. Peter said that. David died. His tomb is with us to this day. We will all come to the end of our lives. That's inevitable. But David is saying that that does not have to be the end. God will not abandon you in death. He looked after me in this life. He will look after me in the next life. Life everlasting, joy, fullness of joy, pleasures everlasting. That is what is waiting for me. And every joy, David realizes that every joy that I experienced in this life was just a pointer. It was just a glimmer. It was just a shadow of the fullness, the complete joy, the complete pleasure that I can't even imagine that I will experience at the right hand of God in his presence for all eternity because I am in him. And that is the promise to us. If we are in Christ, every joy, every pleasure of this life will pale in comparison. It's just a signpost. Think of the greatest pleasure you've ever felt and experienced. Just a pointer, a shimmer of what is promised to you for all eternity at the right hand of God, the presence of God for those who are in Christ. That promise makes David's heart sing. It makes his whole being light up with joy. And that's what it ought to do for us as we revel in that, as we fix our eyes on who God is and his promises to us. Joy, real and lasting joy is available to us in the presence of God and we no longer have to fear death. We are free to use our lives for the mission of God. We don't have to chase after all of these things that will fade, that will let us down. We don't have to try to hold on to them because this life is not all that there is. We are headed every day. We are walking closer to fullness of joy and everlasting pleasure in the presence of God at his right hand. 
That is my hope for every single one of us, that we will trust in God. We will turn to God, run to him as savior and refuge, that through every circumstance, we will fix our eyes on him like David did and remember that he is holding us. And remember, be anchored in the joy, the fullness of joy that is promised to us for all of eternity in Christ. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that though we experience trials and trouble in this life, Lord, we are not left to our own. We are not abandoned. You are walking with us. Thank you that joy is available to us as we press in to you, as we seek your presence. And I pray, Lord, that whatever any of us are walking through right now, today, Lord, we would turn to you. We would fix our eyes on you and that we would enter in to this real experience of joy, this feeling in the soul that transcends our circumstance. Would you hold us in that, God? For all those who have not trusted in you, would you move their heart to put their faith and their trust in you for salvation and refuge? Thank you, Lord, for your promises to us. Thank you that in your presence there is fullness of joy and pleasure everlasting. In Jesus' name, amen.